You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. How good it is to be together in the body of Christ. How much stronger we are together. It is important for us to be together, and I'm so happy that many of you, uh, you're able now because of, uh, as things have gone on, you've been able to come, and we welcome you if this is your first time back in quite some time. I feel the Spirit here today. I know you do too, and we are asking God to enrich our hearts and to touch our lives in a deep way. One of the things that the Lord laid on my heart early this year was, was that when we come to church here at Ridgecrest or any other Bible-preaching church, I believe that the Word of God is opened and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. I believe the Holy Spirit is moving. And sometimes it seems like nothing happens. And that may be true. It's usually not. God is always working in hearts. But here's the deal. It was so clear to me early this year that we needed to pray specifically that the Lord would help us see clearly the gospel see clearly the face of Jesus, and that if there was any fog or mist or something absconding our view of God, that that God would remove it. And so if it's okay, um, I'm going to pray right now that whatever you brought in this morning, this morning for me was one of those hectic mornings. There there really wasn't any reason for it. I've just felt rushed all day. And, And sometimes going fast like that causes us to miss important things. So I'm praying that doesn't happen to me, and I'm praying it doesn't happen to you. That God will let us see clearly what he wants us to see today. Let's pray in that regard. Heavenly Father, please open our hearts and minds and souls and let us see clearly your word today. God, we need a word from you. And though this passage today, it has some hard things to say, there are so many encouraging words for those in Christ. And may our hearts see clearly what we individually need to see, what we corporately need to see. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I felt like I needed to start with the prayer. Now let's hear from the word. If you will stand with me, As we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, we are in James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13, and we're talking about why grace-filled living is not optional. This is not optional, what we're talking about. There are some, some hard facts, some good facts, but some hard facts for us to hear today. And it's interesting how the third word is key. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now notice this. So speak and act and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, may your mercy triumph today. May it triumph over our sins. May it triumph over our 
our judgment, God, that we deserve in your presence, but God, because of what you did in sending your son, Jesus, what you did on the cross, it changes everything. Now let that change us today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I tell you what, when it comes to mathematics, there isn't much room for grace. Let me explain. If you're a math teacher here today, I'm not trying to pick a fight with you. But the truth is that when it comes to math, if you add up your numbers and they're almost perfect, you still get a perfectly false answer. Am I right? Decimal points matter. I guarantee you, if you filled out your taxes this last week, decimal points matter. Around this time every year, I have to get my tax stuff together. It is one of my least favorite times of the year. And I have to add up these long columns and and get them all right. And I am told that, you know, if you do it right, you have to have what's called a 10 key. Uh, Brother Kevin, our financial director here, tells me about his 10 key. If you ever walked in his office and watched him, I mean, he is like lightning on that thing. And then he has evidence. If he messes up, he can go back and look at his tape. Well, I don't have one of those things, and I don't know how to use one of those things. And so usually it takes me not once or twice, but two or three times at least before I can get my numbers to add up. Now, I want you to get that picture in your mind, okay? That, that idea of trying to add up, not just one or two figures, but multiple figures. And if you think at what James is saying to us here, especially in verse 10, it begins to add up in our minds that we might be in trouble when it comes to our righteousness before God. Because listen to it again. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. One mistake in this spiritual ledger is fatal. Notice that word really. I I didn't notice it when I first wrote this sermon, but it just kept hitting me uh, because that word grabbed a hold of me. If you really, like really, really, if you're serious about keeping the law, if you're serious about being a good person, there's something about what I've read to you today from God's word that is sobering. Because those of us who want to do things well and do things right, especially as it relates to God's word and his law, when we read this, it makes us sad because we know that we have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. One of the reasons why this text is so difficult, because it is showing us that we cannot save ourselves. Any attempt to save yourself is felled by just one sin. Now, I put that picture up there of a tree falling down because I want you to realize what we're talking about. When I say one sin causes you to be felled, that's what I mean. We fall. We fall short of the glory of God. And it doesn't take much, even just being partial. If you'll remember last week, we talked about the sin of partiality, which in a sense, it sounds like, okay, you know, it's human nature to prefer one type of person over another, to, you know, have your friend here and somebody that's not as close to you over there. But God's word is telling us that even our partiality can be a deal breaker between us and God. Listen, we're not talking about something small here. We're talking about our eternal salvation, where we will spend eternity after we take our last breath. This is important stuff. Christianity is a unique religion in that it presents us with this system of rules that actually seems to condemn us rather than save us. When we look at the Old Testament, we realize that it's giving us all these rules and we have fallen short. 
Christianity wants us to feel that tension because the only answer to that tension is what Jesus did on the cross. Christianity forces us to look to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We are saved by grace, and I'm going to tell you, we can only live by grace. Grace is at the heart of Jesus' message. Jesus was the only one who kept the law perfectly. He cherished the law. We must cherish the law. Those things that we see in Scripture, I'm not telling you to to, to not obey them. Strive all your life to obey them. But believe me, only Jesus saves. Work hard to be right unto God, but realize that only the blood of Jesus will make you righteous. Free grace is offered to each of us, even though our spiritual math, the addition of our good deeds, is always off a bit. We are weak. He is strong. We put the decimal in the wrong place, but he corrects it. And in our passage today, in these few verses, I believe that God will help us to build lives on grace and truth. And I want to challenge each one of you here today to seriously consider where you stand before God. What are you depending on? If you are depending on anything other than Christ, then this sermon is for you. This is a gentle reminder uh, to turn to Christ, to turn to him with your whole heart. Let's revisit this idea of partiality and talk for just a moment about partiality or love, but not, bo- but not both. No matter how hard you try, as I said a moment ago, I-, I think we just fail in this idea of partiality. We bond with some more quickly than others. It's a tough reality, but it's real. And I believe that this, this sin of partiality, James wants to capitalize on it because it's one of those sins that seems innocent. But there is no such thing as an innocent sin. Notice in verse 9, it's also another time in the verse, it speaks of that word transgression. Listen, that's a serious word. That's a heavy word. And so we need to realize that even our partiality, our preference for one type of person over another can cause us to fall. I don't know about you, but sometimes, and I'm just being raw here, sometimes when I'm reading scripture, I just feel like, Lord, I can't catch a break. Because every day when I open up the Word and I start reading the Word of God, I realize that I am still a long way away from where I want to be. I realize and I begin to be convicted by the Word every day. As Scripture unpacks our hearts, what we find inside is rather unappealing. If you really let the Scriptures begin to unpack your heart, the things you're going to see come out are not good. We can deny it, but when we're owning that, when we see that, it can be disconcerting. But loving all people is a non-negotiable. This city, this state, this country, this world needs people who love them in Jesus. And I believe if you have Jesus as your king, then that royal law according to the scripture, look there at verse 8, is that which should drive us. James gives us some pretty beautiful pictures here of God's law. He calls it the law of liberty here in verse 12, the royal law in chapter 2, verse 8. Both of these phrases in my mind are just other ways of describing the gospel. The gospel is from the king. It's the royal law. The gospel will set you free. 
It is the law of liberty. It gives us freedom. I, that sounds so different because what I've been saying so far is, is that the law judges us. But if we understand the gospel, then we can be free. We can find who we are. God's word here is beautiful and asking us to be filled with the gospel so that we can pour out that love. If you have your copy of scripture, let me just real quick have you go back to Romans chapter 13. I want to read a couple verses to you. Romans 13 verse 8. Listen to this. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Notice that fulfilling the law requires us to love one another. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now Galatians chapter 5, if you go over there real quick, we have it on the screen for you. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now you'll notice that Paul twice, and here in James, we are told to do well, we will love our neighbor as yourself. How are we doing in this regard? We've talked a lot about what it means to love our neighbors lately. Are we pushing beyond the fence in our backyard? Are we pushing beyond our office door, our cubicle? This week we were talking about this phenomenon and someone on our staff has been house hunting of late. And this person said, you know, of all the houses we looked at, none of them had a front porch. Talked about the rarity of a front porch. And then I began to remember all the houses that Jenny and I visited. I remember a couple of them, a couple brick houses in particular, where to get to the front door, you had to walk about six or seven feet and you had a brick wall here and a brick wall there. And the more I think about it, the only other place I've seen that is in a medieval castle. And that's why as you walked in there, they were pouring hot oil on you. (laughs) I don't think that is a neighborly kind of front door when you think I could have hot boiling oil poured on me. So let me ask you this question. When we talk about loving our neighbor, we all go, yes, we need to do that. But when we even build our houses in such a way where we never have to interact with a neighbor, where we can go into our fortress of solitude and never interact with another person, how are we being neighborly? So much of our lives, we've built them up in such a way where we don't have to talk to anybody. That is not good. That shows us that we have room to grow, Christians, as it relates to partiality and loving our neighbor. We have to work hard at it because even the architectural designs of our homes sometimes keep us from being good neighbors. Listen, verse 9 doesn't mince words. Abstaining from wrongdoing is only part of the bargain. We must also engage in loving the neighbor. Listen, it's not enough to say, I don't do this sin and I don't do that sin. The question is, are you loving? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you pouring out your life for other people? It requires a both and. We do keep the law, yes. We do avoid those sins, yes. But we must act in such a way that we love our neighbor. The word transgressor there in verse 9, as I've said, is a strong word. In the Old Testament, it refers more to uh, sinning with a high hand. That's how the Hebrew writers expressed it. Or to seek uh, to sin intentionally. This is very dangerous sin. So when you say, I'm not going to get to know my neighbor, then that is a transgression. To not love your neighbor as yourself is a transgression. 
no small matter, our lack of being a neighbor or neighborliness, say that five times real fast, is a symptom of our sinfulness. Now, I don't know that we think that way most of the time. We just assume that since we go to church on a regular basis or if we're involved in a ministry that is, you know, part of the local church we've done, our duty, we're doing okay. But if I'm reading this correctly, we have to be active in reaching out. Our lack of being a neighbor is showing partiality. And we should be convicted by the scriptures to do better here. What is the Spirit saying to your heart? How are you living out this royal law? How are others being free, freed from their anxieties and sins because you are loving them and being a good neighbor? We must do better here. And here's why. It's all or nothing. All or nothing. Verse 10 is an all or nothing verse. Modern people cringe at absolute statements. Even in grammar, as you're learning to write, you are told to be careful not to use words like always uh, because in so many things in this world, you can't be that certain. So they caution us to be careful. So modern people don't like this. Another word is an ultimatum. Ultimatums don't usually work well. They don't work well at school. They don't work well at the office and they sure don't work well at home with your spouse. Ultimatums will get you in a lot of trouble. But I want to tell you, our Heavenly Father has every right to be absolute. He has every right to give us an ultimatum. This is our Father's world. And I believe the law is an indivisible whole. The law sticks together. Verse 10 says it. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Some people say, well, you know, James was a little bit, you know, edgy, maybe crusty, you know, a little harsh and hard. But Jesus would never say that. Check that. Matthew 5, 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Don't listen to the world when they say, oh, Jesus, all he ever did was talk about peace and love. Listen, those people who say that, they've had one little problem in their lives. They haven't been reading their Bibles. Because Jesus says a lot about judgment. He warns people often about the power of sin. And I'm here to tell you, sin is a part of our equation. You see, it's not about how good we can be. High score doesn't win. This isn't a competition with other people. This is putting yourself. Listen, every single one of us, we have to walk up to that cross, get in the shadow of the cross, and compare all of our righteousness to that one who is bleeding and dying for us. Quit comparing yourself to other people. It's not hard to find somebody worse than you. But you will never find anybody better than Jesus. He's the best. He's worth everything to us. Stop trying to justify yourself because only the blood of Jesus will justify us. Now, I want to say this. We have to keep everything in balance. I I want to be careful when I preach a sermon like this because good deeds and righteous behavior, we're not kicking that out of the door. For instance, let me just give you this real quick illustration from Mark 12, 28 through 34. Jesus was very impressed 
with the scribe in that passage and his keeping of the law. Jesus says this to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But I want you to hear this, not far is not the same as in. So Jesus doesn't say all those good works don't matter. No, he says those good works really do matter. Jesus is paying him a high compliment and then offering him an invitation to salvation. Offering him the blood of the lamb in a sense. As I was thinking about James 2, 10 through 11, these two verses in particular, it's almost like spiritual blunt force trauma. I mean, it's, these are hard words. Hard words to hear. Ultimatums are hard to hear. To hear that we can just mess up one time. Every single law, as one scholar put it, has an equal obligation on our consciousness. How many can say, well, I've not murdered, I'm not an adulterer, but who can say I am not proud? Thomas Manton said that. I mean, at some point, Paul says, I kept the law, but it was coveting that got me. All of us, if we let the word speak, it will convict us of our sins. Another author puts it this way. The law is not like a heap of stones, but like a sheet of glass. We could take one stone from a heap and leave the heap intact. Now, I have a rock here, and we'll show you this picture the picture there to the left, if you've ever been hiking, that's a cairn, and that's what keeps you from getting lost. Now, my family will tell you, just because there are those cairns doesn't mean the munices don't get lost. <laughs> now, if I were to go to the top of that, that rock pile there and take just one off, the cairn would still exist. But something tells me, by the way, this is a little rock from the Clam River, Johnny. You remember the Clam River? We're in Michigan together. Michigan together. I stole some rocks from that river. Anyway... <laughs> This is a Cain and Abel type of rock, really. Is. You can do some damage with this. Boy, that stained glass looks good, doesn't it? Now, if I was my son, you know, uh, that, that would be a dangerous thing for me. I don't know if I could get it that far, okay? Here's the deal. If I threw that rock, this rock, at that glass or that glass, what would the result be? It would shatter it. It'd be broken. There would be no turning back. You know, the law is not something we can pick and choose from. Well, you know, you can just take a rock off of it and change it that much. No, listen, when we sin, it's like a rock shattering glass. And I want you to realize that your heart is in a fragile condition in, the, in as much as if you have sinned in any way, it's shattered you. There is no small sin. There isn't a small stone, as it were. Like partiality, for instance. Just partiality makes us a transgressor of the law. Irreparable harm is done when you sin. How about this? Just your lack of love toward others could shatter the glass. Oh, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. Of Jesus. I think there's a large number of us in this room that we know the concept of sin. We just don't understand how big a deal it is. Do you realize, do you realize, not how much other people's sins have hurt you, but do you realize how much your sins have hurt you? 
That's what God's Word's trying to get across to us today. For a moment, forget about the other person and ask God to make it clear in your heart where you stand before Him. This is all or nothing. This is not, you know, like taking a test and getting 92%. Oh, I got an A. It's not like that. One sin puts us in judgment of all. Oh, friends, we need mercy. So let's talk about that. Our last point, mercy triumphs over judgment. Look closely at verse 12. Here's the application. It's simple. It really is. How do we overcome? How do we correct the sin of partiality? Notice it says right there, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. In other words, your words and your actions need to be filled to the brim with the love of God. The sin in this world that you've committed, that I've committed, that we've committed, it has caused a tidal wave of chaos and pain. And the only way that we can rescue people, the only way we will be rescued is if we receive the love of Jesus and then we so act and speak so that the love of Jesus flows through us. We have to become good neighbors. We have to be channels of blessing and of love. Friends, judgment is a motivation here. We are told in verse 13, for judgment is without mercy. Listen, if we do not understand that God is serious about sin, that God will judge our sin, we're not going to be motivated to do good things all the time. They call this negative reinforcement today. But I'm here to tell you, the most negative thing in you is your sin. And God is doing everything in his power. The word of God is a tool that God uses to get the sin out of us. It's the word of God that shows us the gospel. It's the word of God that shows us the serious repercussions if we do not turn from our sins. Sin is no small thing. It will condemn you. So speak and act. Notice this, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now, it's not just judged under the law, but judged under the law of liberty. If you will surrender your heart to Christ this morning, you will be set free. The law will not condemn you because the blood of Christ will cover you. You will not be in bondage anymore to your anxieties, your fears, your past sins, but you will be made free by the gospel. We are here today and we worship and we preach the word because it is the only way that we will be made free. This world is living in fear. There is bondage upon the sons and daughters of man, but Jesus has brought us the law of liberty that will set us free. Let me tell you what happens when you get free. You begin to serve people with real love. The measuring stick is not a preacher or even a parent. The measuring stick is always Christ. We must abide in Him. 1 John 3.24 We must allow the implanted word, James 1.21, to take root. And then we can speak with the authority of Christ. We need to claim Jesus' power, not for our prosperity, not our own prosperity, 
but for the prosperity of God's kingdom and of our neighbors. If we'll get this right, we will love God and love others well. And if we don't get this right, we will constantly be trying to focus our attention on ourselves. Too much Christian preaching today is aimed at individual prosperity, but I believe that is a mistake because your heart is always wanting more, and usually it's wanting more of something that you really don't need. Let me tell you what you need today. You need the love of Jesus. And I believe that mercy can triumph over judgment. Earlier I spoke of adding up our good works. Remember what I said? Just one mistake in your calculations gives us a false result. We need to remember this because we need to remember our only hope is the mercy of Jesus. Our calculations won't add up, but when our hearts are covered by the blood of the Lamb, then we are declared righteous before God. One of the the, the keys, maybe, one of the clues that we're missing something is our critical spirits. I just want to mention this very quickly because I think often in the church, when we've been in the church a long time, um, we, we become critical. There's this great meme out there where it shows this big old gorilla and it says, you know, dads are kind of like this where, you know, we're grumpy and we know things. You know, it shows this, you know, grumpy looking gorilla. You know, we're grumpy and we know things. And I think as Christians, as we get older, we assume that since we know things that we can be grumpy. I'm begging you, church. There is a generation of young people in this community, in this world, that need the love of Jesus. And grumpy Christians are not going to win the day. We need people that act and speak words of love. That are not depending on their own righteousness, but are clinging to the cross of Christ. So let me just invite you this morning to walk away from your critical spirit, Christian. And ask God to help you to love without partiality your neighbor. But I'm also calling out to you, if you have been depending on anything other than the blood of Jesus for your salvation. Listen, heaven comes to those who surrender to Christ. It is through the cross that we are saved. Please come to Jesus. Because grace is the only way. It's the only way to live our lives. It's the only way forward. Come to him now. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.